Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is and forever will be Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, just for now. Yeah, yeah, I shouldn't make a promise that, that grand epic. <laughs> who knows? Uh, who knows what the future holds? Anyway, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to do any preamble. I want to talk about Persona 3 Reload. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it's, um, Stephen, it's so good. <laughs> Brendan, I have so much so to say that I actually talked to myself in the shower about this game, which is maybe <laughs> the first time I've done that. It's like singing in the shower has been replaced by just thoughts about Persona 3 Reload. I, I, I literally yesterday at like 1.30 in the morning after putting the game down finally uh, and trying to go to sleep was singing the battle song in my head which one uh the the new one that the comes, new one the new one's the new, really good yeah, yeah. The, the when uh whenever you uh like back attack an enemy so you get an advantage on them uh and while doing that i was like i just need to see what other people think about this game and i went online to like try and find any like conversation about this game which was i'll say more difficult than i was expecting but that having been said look i i just i i want to i want to front load this just by mentioning i think it was as recently as maybe two episodes ago i was like i'm probably not going to play this game until it launches on the new switch and yet here i am i think 12 hours into this game already and loving it so much you know what i've been doing i've been playing on xbox uh, it is yeah. on game pass and i've also been playing on steam deck so like i'll switch to the cloud gaming on steam deck yes i was actually debating i had put in like two and a half hours on xbox and then i was like i really want to play this handheld um so i debated getting it for real on steam deck yeah but i figured you know i already have both options so i'll just stick to my xbox playthrough yeah yeah and look i mean i, I think we talk about how great xcloud is a lot but the fact that you could just pick up your save file from wherever you are is amazing so i've been doing yeah. the same thing I've, I've been playing it on xbox and then also playing it on the odin which for all intents and purposes is uh, is the nintendo switch too <laughs> in, in a lot of ways to me at least which uh has been amazing an amazing way of playing this game um it really does feel great handheld especially as we'll get into i think talking a little bit more about mechanics later but like as, as you get into some of the more like kind of mindless stuff in this game it's really nice to just be like lying in bed and just like knock it out versus totally. some of the kind of like larger plot beats and moments that you're like i want to see this on a tv and having that yeah. option so easily built into like xbox this whole deal is really nice it's it's great in both ways i do think that they're going to release it though as soon as the switch 2 comes out i i would have to imagine yeah it feels weird that it's not currently on switch and that feels like the reason because yes. like we just had i don't know maybe that was a year ago at this point i'm losing track of time but like there was just that big okay persona 5 royal is on switch and xbox yeah. and also persona 3 portable and persona 4 golden are now available everywhere which was like honestly as as much as we will continue to critique atlas that was like the big thing we wanted for so long that was the th yes I, I feel like of our lineage our, our lineage between you and me on the show of of wanting so many different things to exist i feel like near automata on switch was one that we would like throw out every once in a while and then it eventually happened and this was another one where it was like just put all the persona games on switch so weird that they're not like just do it uh and i'm glad they did yeah in the case of like persona 4 golden specifically and persona 3 portable it's like you can only play those games on those devices yes. which like a year after they came out was no longer a given, you know, right, like right. very niche handhelds, even when they were relevant. Great consoles, to be clear. Don't at me. But still, <laughs> like most people don't have them 
currently at least. Right. So this is a remake, a ground up remake of Persona 3. I, I figured before we get into details of this game, it, it, I think it would be helpful. I know uh, we've gone through this before and I would guess a lot of listeners already know this information, but I do think to frame one's expectations for Persona 3 Reload, it's helpful to go through, helpful to go through just the release history of Persona overall and specifically Persona 3. Yeah. This is maybe my favorite thing to do as well, so I feel like I'm spoiling myself. <laughs> I love talking about Atlas's weird ass release history. So I think if you're if you're new to this show or new to Persona and you really don't know anything about this, I think it's helpful to think about modern Persona as specifically 3, 4, and 5. Forgive me, but it's not unlike Elder Scrolls, where I feel like <laughs> Elder Scrolls 3, Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim. Yeah. Dramatically different games, but they're all pulling from the same foundation. They right. all have the same skeleton in a way that Daggerfall and Arena definitely do not. You know, Elder Scrolls 1 and 2 feel like they're from a different era. And then Morrowind, I think, sets the foundation for later Bethesda games, specifically Elder Scrolls. So Persona overall began as a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensei, which is a long-running RPG series uh, that started like in the late 80s. There's a million SMT games and spinoffs and extended media. We won't get too into that. But the first SMT game that you can kind of count as Persona Zero in a way was a game called If that was about a bullied teenager who accidentally sends his high school to hell. And like <laughs> just remembering that that's where this all started and now it's become this like known commodity mainstream game Jokers and Smash Brothers is so funny to me. It's yeah. like this began <laughs> as like the worry that every parent in the 90s had like is Pokemon satanic? It's like no, but SMT If is satanic. Definitely, definitely is. <laughs> Yeah, and like is reveling in it. Yeah, exactly. And for those who don't know, like the, the simplest way to pitch SMT is like, what if Pokemon, but pulling from all mythology and folklore and religion and you fight alongside them. Mm -hmm. So like it's kind of a monster collection game, but much darker and usually exploring some type of morality and if kind of planted this seed of an idea of like what it what if the game was centered around maybe a more relatable cast of younger teenagers in high school so that led to persona one which was still i think more under like the smt branding i think persona really found its own identity with two which is kind of its own weird thing there are two persona 2 games innocent sin and eternal punishment and eternal punishment is like a direct sequel to innocent sin and what's interesting about those games is that the protagonist flips so like one character who is the silent player character in one game becomes like a voiced supporting character in the next game oh, that's interesting persona 2 is like one of my big missions i, I want to give myself i haven't played it i know a little about it i think there is a decent part of the persona fandom that would like say definitively that is like the peak narrative of the entire series oh wow but it's not the persona that that most people would recognize recognize mm -hmm. three the reason three i would say is like the foundation of modern persona is that it's the game that introduced the calendar system and the s links pretty much like all the mechanics that four and five would would ground themselves in and really like even if you were to play the original persona 3 on ps2 it would obviously be archaic in some ways but persona 5 isn't really doing that much differently or new from it it's just delivered in a much easier to understand way and much flashier like there are more things to do but like persona 3 really did just set the standard like right away which is why I think yeah. the game is so revered so essentially to speed it up a little bit because i'm having way too much fun here uh persona <laughs> 3 comes out on ps2 
in like 2006, I believe. And then a few years later, Atlas releases Persona 3 Fez, which is a quote unquote definitive edition of Persona 3. So it's Persona 3 with a few quality of life improvements, some additional content, and specifically a whole separate playable epilogue called The Answer. That is a 30-hour epilogue to the story of Persona 3 starring Igus, who is a robot. More on The Answer in a bit. I have a hot take about The Answer that I'm excited to share. Great. So then after that, Persona 4 comes out, and I think Persona 4 you know, broadly speaking, like Persona 3 was a big hit, but Persona 4 is the beginning of Persona starting to become mainstream. Yeah. I think 3 kind of changed like the expectation of the art direction and the style. Like when you think of Persona, you think of that style and that UI, it all started with 3. But 4 purposely choosing like a, to be blunt, much more immediately likable cast and like a much brighter atmosphere and warmer environment and maybe a focus, like a stronger focus on the life sim part of it over the dungeon crawling i think that really spoke to people and eventually when that got re-released in its own definitive edition persona 4 golden on vita that really set the stage for persona 5 being like a huge lightning striking mainstream event i think yeah so the thing about persona 4 and 5 is they each have their own definitive edition persona 4 has persona 4 golden which came out on vita and is now ported to all modern consoles persona 5 a few years after its release got persona 5 royal persona 5 did not need any improvements and yet got them and was somehow better (laughs) persona 3 technically had fez but it got it's definitive edition almost too soon you know like yeah improvements a year later still on ps2 don't really translate to today's audience and it did get a port on the psp persona 3 portable which is the version that has been ported to modern consoles which is great but persona 3 portable is also a weird compromised version you know it has some really cool improvements so like the big thing about persona 3 fez is that all the party members were controlled by ai which i don't think is a deal breaker as much as it sounds but i don't think it's ideal for most players right i think conceptually it it paints this picture of the protagonist being more of a loner and really having to trust others in the mechanics which which worked for me but there's also things like characters would use the wrong move a decent amount and the final boss of the game without spoiling his whole thing is casting a move that will automatically kill you if you attack him so you have to like you can give them general strategies and one of which is do nothing so you have to just guess when he's going to do that move otherwise the character dies stuff like that is like infuriating and also it's just worth mentioning like the combat system revolves around just uh, tying it back to the Shin Megami Tensei thing like it just centers around finding and exploiting weaknesses so if you are not controlling your character who has the lightning attack and they are not using the lightning attack against the thing you're fighting that is weak to lightning and that's the only person in your party who has the ability to use lightning attack you're dunked yeah thankfully I mean it's better than it sounds because there is a tactic that just says knock down. So like they will specifically use the move that they're weak to. If they have it, yes. But there are also ancient 2007 memes of Mitsuru constantly casting Marin Karin when the whole party needs healing. And that happens constantly. She has a move that charms the enemy that's essentially useless that like <laughs> the AI refuses to not use. One of the big changes in Persona 3 Portable was that you can control your party mates, which is amazing. And the big addition is that there's a secondary main character there's a a femme protagonist who has like kind of a whole new outlook on the story she's also a silent protagonist but she gets s-links with way more characters and so by extension of that you get a much more complete sense of plot and character 
by playing as her. And also just having the option itself is really cool. So while Persona 3 Portable, you know, because it was on hardware that was weaker than the PS2, none of the maps are, are you can't like navigate them in a 3D space. They're all just sort of like screenshots of the place. And then you select like on a map where you want to go. The only 3D space you're like walking around in is Tartarus, which is the game's main dungeon you climb through for the whole game. So like, well, P- Persona 3 Portable, I can see why that was the version they chose to port forward. It still doesn't feel like the complete package. Does that have the answer in it? No. Yeah. Why? It doesn't have the answer <laughs> and it doesn't have cutscenes either, I right. believe. On our Patreon, uh, we have an episode that I was joined by our friends Alana Okid and Callie Barth Dwyer and we talked about Persona 3, 4, and 5. Just a heads up, that's one of the episodes you can get on the dollar tier. It's one of the like older ones that's just available. So if you're interested, it's there for a dollar. But uh, Alana, I remember she was playing Persona 3 Portable for the first time. I had played all of Fez on PS2 because I own a copy. And she was playing Persona 3 Portable but looked up some guide online that said like when to pause the game and watch a cutscene on YouTube. Yeah. Which like is a cool way to do it but it's obviously not ideal. So saying all this out loud, for almost two decades there has been a demand for a definitive version of 3. I think of any Persona game, at least the modern ones, it's just so clear like take the pieces from Fez that are unique to it, take the pieces from Portable that are unique to it, and mash it all together for like Persona 3 Sapphire. So when this game was announced, Persona 3 Reload, that I think was the expectation from a lot of people. Not even to mention, this is following years of marketing, where Atlas has gone through great lengths to include 3, 4, and 5 together in the marketing. There's this, you know, blue, yellow, red. There are dancing games with the characters from 3. Just a reminder, the plot is that they don't dance while they go to hell. Uh... (laughs) There are, there's toothpaste that was advertised for some reason with all the characters on it. All these games are ported forward. And also worth noting, a lot of this marketing includes, specifically includes the female main character. She's like present in all the marketing. I have an anniversary mug that has her on it. All the main characters on this mug. So it's like all this is happening, all this bizarre marketing. And then the game is announced and they're like, this game is not including the answer or the secondary protagonist because it's specific a remake of original Persona 3. And that, I think, to be clear, I really like this remake, and we're going to talk a lot about why it's great, but I think that's sort of the mood a lot of people are entering this game with. Yes. And I imagine that's why a lot of the discussion that I've seen, while overall really positive, does have like a decent amount of people who are like entering it pissed off and looking for reasons to complain. Right. Um, so it's, I've been sort of guarded about this remake. I'm having a really great time, but I still think that was a big missed opportunity to not include those other elements. Yeah, I, th- I think you you framed it as it was a lot of people's expectation. I don't even I, I would even say it was the assumption. It was like, yeah, right. <laughs> it was just like why there's no world in which you would remake that game without blending all of those components together. And the fact that they chose not to is still so wild to me. And they we'll talk about how, but they've gone through lengths to include that stuff in some more interesting ways than just specifically saying like, hello, we have all the stuff from Fez and all the stuff from Persona 3 Portable in here. I, I still think it's a huge missed opportunity, though, to like not have the femme protagonist. And there are now rumors that the answer is going to show up as DLC. There are representatives at Atlas specifically saying there's not going to be a definitive version of Persona 3 Reload. So like you're not going to have to buy this game again in two years for another $70. That's good, because that's what I was worried about was, Me like too. you know, reloading and it's you know another $70 for just those two things re-reloaded right and the thing too is like the yeah the only reasons I could see for not including the femme protagonist is they want you to get Persona 3 portable as well 
which is widely yeah. available and and maybe was too recent to like you know overshadow immediately yeah or there was reloaded to coming out and i'm kind of relieved that that's not the case because i do think like as much as it's kind of annoying to not have like a clear definitive edition it is nice that portable is available and you can play it and get that experience still and that game also is framed in a way when you first turned it on as like have you played persona 3 before and if right. you have here's this other protagonist that you can play as so it it is a little bit of a quote unquote like second time through experience, or at least that was a little bit of the intention. I know people who have uh, jumped in just with the female protagonist and had like a great time with that, but it is good that they're both available for that reason, I guess. So like you could play through Persona 3 Reload and then eventually when you're like, I'm, I'm hankering to play this game again, have a really new and fresh experience by playing that yeah. version instead. On one hand, it kind of reminds me of FF7 Remake in that way, where like they both exist alongside each other. And mm -hmm. I do think there are elements of portable and i haven't played all of portable but I, i've started it and i played through all of fez there are elements of the original that i do prefer uh and we'll get into that but overall i think reload is so clearly the one to play first like mm -hmm. for for 99 of people that is the one i would recommend the thing is just real quick i've seen a lot of people really get angry that the answer isn't included i want anyone to find any positive piece of writing about the answer prior to this game's announcement because that is like it is commonly hated it is 30 hours of just battles and cutscenes, and like the story itself is interesting and like it's cool to play as i guess but it's not like it's a continuation of three it is just battles and cutscenes straight through for 30 mm -hmm. hours so like well you know i think the lack of the femme protagonist is the bigger deal the lack of the answer i've seen like as a negative from all these people i'm like have you have you played the answer do you know what the answer is it's essentially like i mean you know it would have been cool to maybe see a, a twist on it because i do think like narratively it's interesting but as someone who's played a bit of it and has played all of fez like, i would say you can watch the answer on youtube like i usually mm. don't say that about a game but like the answer is something i think you would rather watch than play so that to me is not as big i, I can actually understand why they didn't want to make the answer again because mm. no one really wanted to play it in the first place if the rumors are true and they do end up releasing it as dlc i'd be very interested in their take on it like do yes, they do absolutely. they just straight yes. up do that again because i i have also seen in a lot of the digging i've done that people didn't like the answer at all right yeah really um <laughs> so I'd, I'd be curious if they take like a uh resident evil 4 remake approach with it yes, you know yes. and, and do the separate ways thing where it's like similar to what you remember but is improved upon in a lot of ways so I, I i'm hopeful that that's the case and i also appreciate just one of my favorite things about persona 3 verse 4 golden and 5 oh my god royal, royal is uh there's so many subtitles is that you don't need to like specifically min max and follow a guide all the way through to get to the answer like the answer is like a thing yeah that's a just, standalone yes thing. exactly uh whereas in 4 golden and persona 5 reload there's oh my god <laughs> So, <laughs> that's why that's why i wanted a 15 minute like dissertation yes. about the series uh royal is what persona you 4 golden and persona 5 royal there are elements of both of those games where if you don't interact with the right people by the right times you just gate yourself off of that content and you might as well be playing the original at that point yeah it's bizarre i tell everyone who starts royal i'm like there's a there's a spoiler free game spot guide of all the requirements you need to unlock the royal part of royal it's stuff you would probably do anyway but still it's easy enough to miss essentially you have to max out three confidants before a certain part of the game but i digress yeah all of that having been said to take it a step back just 
very quickly, I bought a PlayStation Vita for Persona 4 Golden. Like that was the reason I bought a Vita. I had just heard about it a lot on like podcasts and I saw rave reviews and thought to myself, maybe this is the one. This is still my era where I'm not into turn based RPGs. And I'm like, maybe this is the one. Uh, So I pick up a Vita, start playing Persona 4 Golden and honestly liked it a lot. Played through maybe like 10 hours of it, which uh, anyone who played Persona 4 Golden will tell you is like the beginning. That's where it starts. Like the (laughs) intro of the game and ended up like burning out around hour 10 and then not really going back to it for years and years until it re-released on Switch. Persona 5, I picked up, started playing. And by the time I had made it like far enough, I think there were already rumblings of a Persona 5 Royal (laughs) coming out. And I was like, well, I should stop playing this until Royal comes out and then started playing Royal. And I like a lot of Royal and I've seen a lot of Royal, but I haven't finished it. And there are elements of both of those games, 4 and 5, that I think actually are a little bit of a detractor for me, which we can get into from like holistically enjoying the experience going through those games. I think a, a big one really is that fact that like I do need to have a guide open and be following certain steps to be able to unlock the content that I'm like excited to get to. And Persona 3 has just been kind of like lingering over all of this. And I've been really curious about playing it for years and years and years. I've dipped into Fez on the PS2 here and there. I've also started playing Persona 3 Portable and and made it a little bit, I would say maybe only like two hours into each of them, probably if I was to guess. The thing about Persona 3 in both of those cases while I was trying those out were these conversations that we've been having on the show for like years at this point that like there should be a definitive version. I wonder if Atlas will ever do it. And that has kind of prevented me from ever really investing time into Persona 3 in like a real way. But the assumption that you and I have had and honestly, like friends of mine, as I've talked to them about it is like, that's going to be my favorite one. Definitely. Like there's no world in which I finish Persona 3 and that's not my favorite of those three. And I have been kind of like just waiting with bated breath for Atlas to finally announce something like this. I think for the longest time, like waiting for an obvious entry point, because even by the time Persona 3 Portable got ported to all of those services, there were already leaks and screenshots and videos on the Internet of Persona 3 Reload before we even knew it was like, quote unquote, officially announced. But it was so obviously real that it was like, I'm not going to play this now on my Switch. I'm just going to wait until whatever this thing is comes out, because the the assumption from the outset, beyond just being that it's going to be, you know, a culmination of all of the pieces of all of the releases is that they're going to be taking a lot of cues from Persona 5 in terms of like its aesthetic and its style and and trying to introduce the Persona 5 crowd to Persona 3, you know, just kind of like adding a bunch of glitter on top of Persona 3, which is an interesting thing to do. And there, there are some good conversations on the Internet, I think, about this. Persona 3 is so oppressive in tone and vibe on purpose. It's like pretty dark. There is literally a thing called the dark hour that happens every day where everyone turns into coffins that are spilling blood onto the street, except for like a few key people, you being one of them. But the game in both of its forms that were released before Reload were like also pretty dark in terms of like their UI and uh, some of the like tone and vibe of the music when you get like into those darker hours, when you get into Tartarus, that dungeon that you were talking about, all that stuff. And the idea of taking like the Persona 4 and 5 like flash and glam and adding that on top of Persona 3 does add a little bit of a dissonance between the tone of what they're doing story-wise and what they're doing, I think, presentationally, that I think maybe is is rubbing some people the wrong way. I think it's great. Because on for me, at least, 
Persona 4 is also not a like bright, cheery, fun game, nor is Persona 5. Like half of the deal of these games is this dichotomy between like the flash and the style of what is happening presentationally versus what the story is doing. And I think in a lot of cases is like the point in some ways to me. Nowhere is that more apparent to me than in this one. Like this, this to me makes the most sense to have like a really harsh delineation between like anytime you open a menu, it's like the most beautiful menu you've ever seen. It's in my opinion, the best music across the three games that I've played. Just like overall, this idea that this protagonist who uh, we could talk about like is going through some stuff and everyone you meet is going through some stuff that's all really heavy but everyone's kind of putting on this like cheery mask and this disposition that like kind of betrays what they're actually going through I think is the most interesting part of this remake in a lot of ways to me it's it's done really 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 well because I think it ties in directly with the theme of what the game is trying to go for you have told me in the past that this game has the clearest tie between like mechanics and theme yes and and i think adding that glitz and glamour of four and five's presentation on top of that only makes that even better than it was in the original releases i've read some pieces and some conversations about that point you just made of like applying the persona 5 like aesthetic to three i push back against that a little bit because like three again it's sort of ironic because three set that style in motion like three is a more dour game but like most of the soundtrack is the same there's only one or two new songs like the ui is flashier but like it looks great on the ps2 and persona 3 portable as well like and i think the brighter you know cheery part of your day-to-day i think like you just mentioned even in the original games the clear contrast between what life is like in your day-to-day life spending time with your friends versus at night climbing through tartarus is is literally night and day and that's purposeful and i think yeah i mean the cast of three I love and I think they nail in this game as well. Like, I don't think it's I think you're right that it is a mask they're putting on Like the, the first. So I guess a little bit on the setup of the plot, like you mentioned, there's this thing called the dark hour. And it's essentially when midnight strikes, there's this hidden hour that most people turn into coffins and they're not aware of. But some people are aware and then some people have what's called the potential to use personas. And so. The framing device of you and the rest of the cast are just that you are all recognized as Persona users by like this school's weird like secret government. (laughs) And essentially it's the X-Men. Like you're kind of just all rounded up in a dorm of freaks. Yeah. And kind of forced to climb this Tartar. It's very, I mean, it's clear a lot of RPGs around that time, Xenosaga, Xenogears even, are pulling from Evangelion. And like this is the most, like I think Persona 3 is definitely pulling from that. Just this idea of like these teenagers like just sort of like passionlessly being told to do something horrific mm-hmm. and it's like it's just expected like now you have to go you know get in get in the next Shinji or whatever right like go to go climb Tartarus it's for school you know like <laughs> and I think that creates this feeling of like every day you come back to your dorm where all those characters are and that's what one of my favorite things about the game is like you come home and they're like oh how's your day but it's like very kind of routine early yeah. on like uh, Mitsuru and Akihiko are like the senior students and they've been in what's called C's this like X-Men group for a while and uh they're both like very polite but kind of unapproachable like Mm -hmm. mitsuru uh she she was originally voiced by tara platt who voices edelgard and my god are they similar energies you know like it's essentially like mitsuru's of edelgard learned french basically like that's that's it (laughs) she's like the class president is the most popular girl in school by like a mile Uh, yeah yeah she she just has this kind of aura about her that's like if you speak to her you're wasting her time (laughs) because she has better things to do 
but she's not outwardly arrogant but there's just an, like there's an aura of confidence around her that's like terrifying and yeah. i think a the lot first of the time characters... she comes up and talks to you in school everyone in class is like oh my god yeah <laughs> right <laughs> and junpei and yukari like your you know your early colleagues who are like at your level both in high school and they're also like newer to the group are both terrified of her um yeah. and there's some early tension too between yukari and, and mitsuru that gets developed later on but junpei and yukari are much more approachable and i think yukari is kind of set up to be like your first friend that you feel comfortable around because mm-hmm. she like opens up the earliest but she's also like a popular girl in school but seems kind of isolated and is like hiding a lot of her own trauma behind this cheery face and junpei yeah. she's popular because people think she's mysterious and she's mysterious because she hasn't opened up to anybody ever and seems to have no friends really exactly and junpei as well is like this class clown guy but clearly also has no friends and yeah. like just saw you like okay like we're gonna stick together he's very much the ryuji archetype mm-hmm. i have to say when i first played i could not stand junpei but knowing where his arc goes he does get developed in a really cool way and that's Mm. the thing about persona 3 and please forgive me but it reminds me of star trek where i think (laughs) the casts of persona 4 and 5 are made to be immediately likable like mm-hmm. four, especially, you know, four, everyone is just like, it has this kind of breakfast club feel to it. Five, I think you not only get this cast of likable characters, but like you see what they're going through. Like five in tone feels like a halfway point between three and four. Like those characters are going through much heavier stuff overall, yeah. um, but they get more opportunities to like hang out and have fun. And so I think like maybe this is a bit of a stretch. I just like talking about Star Trek, but like TNG, I feel like that cast is just immediately charming. And that show is written to be episodic and, and written in a way that like you can jump in that show at any episode and the writers hope that like, you'll have the same attachment to that cast as someone who has watched from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Like they're just made to present their best selves forward. Whereas deep space nine purposely is the opposite. It begins. Everyone's like weird, and off-putting and unlikable (laughs) and the point of the show is you see how they change over time Mm -hmm. and that's very much what persona 3 is going for like i think again one of the central themes is death and death in tarot is really more about change and rebirth than specifically death although there is you know a lot of death in the game seeing all those characters change and also the thing i love about three is that in four and five for example if you max out someone's confidant or s-link their persona evolves but in three it's actually scripted events where there are just moments in the story where once a character has kind of gone through their arc they awaken with new power Mm. and like their battle lines are different. Like the way they say, how was your day in the dorm is different. And seeing that change is really powerful. So I think like when I first started Persona 3 Fez, I felt like, oh, this is like the first one. They were figuring it out. I don't really feel as attached to the characters or like the story is is maybe more confusing. But like by the end, it all came to a focal point. And that finale is one of my favorite payoffs from a game. I mean, not to get too into it, but I finished Persona 3 right after a very close friend of mine passed away and i remember hearing the news while i was in tartarus which was maybe like the worst timing to be playing a game and hearing a horrific thing happen yeah but i honestly feel like this game helped me through grief in a way that i wasn't expecting like Mm. once you finish this game and once you see why this game is tied to a calendar and what it's trying to 
communicate about life through this sort of like moment to moment beats of a day it makes the calendar system feel arbitrary in four and five like i think four and five like they're built around it in a really fun way and that has become the identity of persona but it feels like how do you one up what three was actually saying with the calendar like interesting everything about the game is about how everyone on earth only has so much time and even the velvet room where you fuse personas is this elevator that's just like always going up no matter what like yeah nothing is even when you're in rooms that are still there are clocks like everything about the game is reminding you that time is passing but i think what's brilliant about it is it's not done in like an edge lore. i mean th- that's the fun thing about this remake is like this game originally came out in the mid 2000s when you and i were in high school and it's being remade now but it's still set in that time so it now feels like a time capsule of that era where it's like everyone has flip phones it's like cool i have email on my phone and it's like <laughs> this actually feels like the perfect time to have this specific nostalgia maybe at least for us because you know we're in our early 30s yeah. i think like we have a more concrete understanding of what that decade was like mm-hmm. um and also that's when we were in high school so i think there is like a bit of a transportive element there where it's like, oh yeah like i went to high school with junpei and yukari i can imagine like these characters in my life in a way steven the protagonist of this game is way too close to what I was like. (laughs) The exact years in which this game is set. It's unbelievable. Like the first time I went to go work at the cafe and I saw him standing behind the register with like his, you know, swoopy hair and stuff. And then his little internal monologue about like, man, somebody came in and just yelled at me. I was like, I just had... flashbacks to all the cafes i worked at in high it was like unbelievable and then later when i started working at the movie theater also it was like this is too much this is becoming too much for me <laughs> I, I can't be- i can't believe this game is still set in 2009 and i love his i love his little mp3 player that's like dangling yes. as, a, as a necklace that he has that looks like a bullet too yeah oh my god it's amazing yes i've done a lot of talking i really you know i have a very strong history with this game and i'm loving the remake you know i have a few more notes on it but i i really want to hear like this seems to be working the best out of any persona you play like you mentioned that yeah you started and stopped a lot of them this one seems to have fully gripped you and i'm curious why it's working so well and and what separates this from your other persona experiences yeah I, i've been thinking about this a lot trying to boil it down to like the simplest answer to that question do the, the answer. answer yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh and i i think what it boils down to is Number one, I, the easiest thing to say to get off the bat, which you actually messaged me last night and I chose to not respond to because I, I was going to bring this up anyway. <laughs> this game gets you started and in the shit within like an hour. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. Famously, as we just mentioned, Persona 4 Golden takes like eight to ten probably to like really start the plot and like get you start getting you in the cycle of like, this is what combat is like. This is what your day to day is going to be like. Okay, Now you can make a choice on what you're going to do on this day. But even then, there's like another five or so hours before you're like really just kind of given to the world and can do whatever you want. Persona 5 is in a strange place, I think, where... It doesn't take as long technically, but and I think this this is the more holistic thing for me, but it spends a lot more time 
focused on its narrative and focused on cutscenes and delivering plot to you and and delivering character beats to you where even the moments early on you know in the first semester let's say where you're given quote unquote like your own free time and can make your own decisions about what you're doing they don't really feel like they're giving you the reins in a lot of ways yeah. it still feels like you know you might wake up one day being like wow i can do whatever i want today i'm going to go like take on the the burger challenge or whatever and instead somebody walks up to your desk at school and is like hey sorry we have another tutorial we need to kind of escort you off to so we can do this instead and then that ends up taking another two and a half hours and then it's the next day and you also are like okay well am i going to be able to make a decision persona 3 specifically reload but i think persona 3 in general and this might be just virtue of it being like again the first one that really kind of solidified this structure for its game but it has an hour of setup and then is like, all right, good luck. <laughs> like, yeah, do whatever you want. And of course, over time, like you'll unlock more stuff and the game will kind of evolve and unfold in front of you. But the moment where the game has a tutorial pop up, that's like you can choose what to do on every day of the week. Now, keep track of like who is in what spot on what days of the week. Keep track of all the clubs you've joined. Keep track of all of the you know other obligations you've made. You can you can just start to explore the world and like add more stuff to that calendar if you want. It does feel freeing and it does feel like they really do hand the reins over to you in a pretty major way. I think one of the big drawbacks of this game for the longest time for a lot of people is this idea of Tartarus, which we brought up before, but it's it's the one dungeon that you're crawling through the entirety of the game. And that is in direct contrast to the ones in Personas 4 and 5. I think 5 is like the most extravagant example of this, but the the dungeons in 5 are you going into the heads of like bad people in the world uh, and essentially just like pulling a heist and stealing their like will to be evil. Their desires. Yeah, yeah. obviously way more in way more in depth than that, but that, that's the most basic way I can give you. And each of those dungeons are like crafted from an art direction standpoint around what those people's desires are. Are, how they see themselves externally and internally. There's a lot of interplay between who they appear to be in the outside world and who they are in this palace that you're crawling through and heisting through. There's a lot of work done narratively in the dungeon crawling in that game. In Persona 3, your high school turns into Tartarus. It's this big endless tower that shoots into the sky and you just need to make it to the end of it by the end of the game. And that alongside the fact that it is like one consistent art style throughout the entirety of that experience creates this sense, I think, for a lot of people who played the original and three or and and portable from what i've heard at least of a kind of like rote monotonous experience it is like it is the vegetables you have to eat to continue to enjoy the rest of the stuff what they have done in this game i think is brilliant where every like 20 or so floors the art style and the vibe of tartarus changes dramatically i don't know have you have you hit a point where it's changed yet it hasn't changed for me yet. i just hit the 20th floor where like it's blocked off it's blocked off yeah. yeah so essentially like the way all the persona 3 games are structured is it's your responsibility to monitor your progress in tartarus so like yeah. you can just put it off entirely but then when the full moon comes there's a giant mandatory boss and you just have to hope you are the right level right so here's a here's a note it just one of the cruel things about the pre-reloaded versions or at least fez this is a game where you needed backup saves because right. if the full moon arrived and you realized oh my god i'm 20 levels 
under level for this, which is not hard to do. Even if you think you're prioritizing Tartarus, I promise you 2006 Atlas doubts your ability to prioritize <laughs> Tartarus because you will be under leveled and you might just be locked. Like if you don't have a backup save, that might just be it for that run. This game, I think, recognizes that and there's an ability to rewind time, which I think yes. is brilliant, which I think is maybe something that every Persona game should have. I mean, Persona 5 kind of has that where if you fail to finish a palace by the deadline they give you, you can rewind two weeks mm-hmm. before the deadline so they give you a bit more time but like the ability to essentially reload an auto save from like a few days before is i think is a really great feature my one so here's here's a hot take from me i love tartarus and i recognize that's maybe a objectively incorrect opinion i think in my experience playing persona 3 fez a lot of the elements that really are just like cruel to the player do add to the experience at least on a conceptual level so i think like tartarus was tedious and like it does slightly change like the music slightly changes and the color slightly changes but like, that's not really exciting I-, I think what they are going for is again that disparity between like how fun and bright your daily life is with other people and how dour it is to climb this tower. Mm -hmm. I like the idea that it's in my control and it's my responsibility. I think this game was wise to change up the art direction. That is a really good change. The one thing I, I miss is that in Fez, if you stayed in Tartarus for too long, if you were like pushing your party too hard, they would get like sick or exhausted and you would have to withdraw. And there was a really strong element of like, oh my God, like there was a huge risk reward of climbing even another floor. Mm-hmm. And I think Tartarus, because of that, was this scary and unknowable place that always felt daunting to climb even a single floor in. And I feel like it might be a little bit defanged here, at least early on. I feel like I was able to just muscle through the first 20 floors with really no problem because seemingly they've removed the exhaustion and like sick part of it. Yeah, so it's totally gone. It's really just like, do you have enough items or, you know, a SP to heal everybody, which like, it's fine. I don't think most people are going to have an issue with that, but that's like the one thing I prefer. I'm like, I, I feel like the elements of the, of the remake here that I bump up against more than the Persona 5 like aesthetic is some of the stuff, the edges have been sanded off so much that it kind of removes like the mechanical dourness in a sense. Mm. I, I think there might have been maybe a bit more of a middle ground with Tartarus to like still have that planning involved, but not like make it so unforgiving that you just lose hours of progress because you got team party wiped like the minute you entered a new floor, you know? So yeah. I think that might change as I get farther in because even like even in my 20 floors of Tartarus, like there was one floor boss that like almost wiped me out. So like mm-hmm. it is still challenging but that's like my one note on Tartarus really yeah I I'm of, I'm of two minds about that because I agree with you that there's probably a better middle ground here because what yeah. you, what you have essentially in terms of mechanically what you're choosing to do on a day-to-day basis is like once a full moon hits you have until the next full moon to essentially spend as much time in Tartarus as you can to level up your party to the point where you think you'll be able to take on whatever boss shows up at the next full moon but by removing the fatigue system from the original releases that means that you can just as you just said like pick one day out of the entire however many months it is between full moons to just do Tartarus and then spend all your time doing non-battle stuff for the rest of that experience whereas if you have a fatigue system it makes you choose days 
where like maybe it would have been better to go to the ramen place, but instead I have to go into Tartarus because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to level up. And I think that choice between Tartarus and everything else is, as you're saying, also kind of part of what they're going for thematically with this game. Um, So being like, oh, I'll just knock Tartarus out today. And then just doing it all in one fell swoop is like maybe not as much the intention of Tartarus in the original game. That said, like there is also a piece of me that is enjoying that because it's allowed me to see more of the game. So I I definitely have a give and take there where I'm like, I also really like Tartarus. Like, I think it's great that it's speaking to the part of me that loves like voice of cards and dungeon encounters, like those kind of weirder, newer Square Enix B team or not even like C teams that are just releasing. Like, what if we just made dungeon exploring really interesting? It's like Atrian Odyssey as well, where you have just this big labyrinth to uncover. You know, that game has a bigger focus on like map and direction but yeah. still similar idea yeah but it's still really working for me so i'm i'm at the point where i i've passed that first full moon i'm in like the second phase of tartarus making my oh, way yeah. to the next full moon and it has changed from the tartarus we all know and love which is just like almost shades of what what is your high school yeah. but obviously it's kind of like dark and twisted and a little weird um and now it's just like full-on neon hr geiger uh, oh hell yeah which rips it's so cool even even like the map the mini map that you have of the floors as you're exploring them has gone from like you know little rectangles that are connected by hallways to like these kind of big sweeping like semicircles and stuff like they've actually changed the geometry of the space as well which i think is really cool it's also worth mentioning that tartarus quote-unquote changes every night so every time you go into tartarus there's like a new layout so if you were to revisit a floor it would be different hypothetically yeah. the next time you visited there um i don't is this true does that also mean that like chests respawn or there's like new chests? Yeah, there'll be new chests. So there uh, is an incentive to like start from the beginning, even if you've unlocked like a fast travel point to a higher floor. Exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it's procedurally generated in that way. I think some of the like special like locked chests that you need to use keys for. Yeah. Stay because I've, I've like gone back to a floor and I've seen some of them already opened. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, three had Tartarus, four had dungeons that were tied to the main cast. Like right. you were rescuing someone from like their own own kind of palace but it was also procedurally generated but it had like a specific theme and and layout yeah and then five kind of did both where it had the fully authored palaces but then you also had mementos which was sort of like that game's tartarus so yeah. like in the subway it's interesting i yeah, i do i kind of like what four did i feel like four has the best of both worlds with like okay you have like very distinct separate palaces but they all have that kind of like classic grind dungeon crawly feel to them but yeah i i think the changes to tartarus overall work for me and i reckon like me missing characters getting a cold because they were in hell for too long i'm like the freak of the group like most people are <laughs> going to prefer this new style yeah um i think um go- going back to just the overall like why is this one working for me i, I yeah. think like tartarus being a thing that you can choose to do alongside all of the other things that you can choose to do and again th- maybe by virtue of this being the first one quote unquote that has this calendar system in place it just feels like they have the simplest cleanest version of what i consider to be what i like about persona in this game yeah and it's in retrospect making me recognize i think the reasons i have burnt out on four and five in the past which is like they tried to become bigger and better and a lot of that quote-unquote bigness and betterness came from just more story and more narrative and and more plot beats and more times where like you have to put the controller down and like watch the visual novel side of things which i like to be clear but 
it's harder to, I think, lock into the like just one more day of it all with those games than it is in this one where it is totally so, so easy to be like, all right, I'm just I'm just going to hit, you know, whatever the top floor of Tartarus I can possibly hit before it gets blocked off. And then I want to do I want to go to the ramen place. I want to see if there's new websites for sale that I can uh, check out in the dorm room on our shared computer in the dorm because there's a computer room because it's 2009. (laughs) And then the next day after that, I think during the day I want to hang out with like one of these three people if they're available or maybe go work here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It allows me to plan and actually take action on that plan instead of making a plan and then being introduced to another narrative beat that is removing that agency from me. And it, it feels to me so much like honestly kind of the the team ico thing the design by subtraction but this is this isn't even designed by subtraction it's just i've seen them design by addition in the future and going back to the earliest version of this is like i think they got it so right here i totally agree yeah i mean i think like i think like pound for pound persona 5 royal is like so clearly where to start for persona and i think overall is like the best made game But as an experience, I've mentioned this before, it feels much more like you're watching discrete seasons of a TV show, whereas three feels so singular. And because like these characters don't really know each other and are putting on fronts or like just totally unapproachable by the end, when you befriended them, it feels like you actually made the effort to get to know them and not just like like it feels that way in four and five, too. But the game is way more like, hey, you're already buds, right? Mm -hmm. Like no matter how much you ignore Ryuji, he's going to think your best friends by the end of the game. (laughs) Whereas like, I think in three, it's a bit more up to you. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I also think what's interesting about this remake, and I can see this not pleasing everyone is that it feels the remake. It's hard to really say, because I think the, again, like this game had a very specific assumption for it, like you said, and there's also just a very broad definition now of what a remake means. So I think like I've seen some discussion about this game where people were theorizing like FF7 remake liberties of storytelling mm. with this game. Uh, some people want like a one to one remake of Fez with, you know, the elements from the other games. Some people have never played three and they're just like, I'm excited to play a more modern version of this game. So like, hello, <laughs> uh, the remake I would compare reload the most to is the 3DS remake of Majora's Mask in that. They're both like almost one to one, but have taken some liberties and have added some things and overall are a easier way to get into it. But some of the atmosphere has been reduced because of those changes. And you're not really going to notice that unless you have a very strong attachment to the original. So like you and I, I think both love the 3DS version of Majora's Mask, but there is like a haunted quality to the N64 version that's hard to replicate and like basically impossible to replicate, honestly. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've talked about that a lot, but just the early 3D visual style of the N64 has a has a scary quality to it. Yeah. And, and Nintendo's penchant for doubling down on that in Majora's Mask and saying like, yeah, we know this looks weird and won't age well, and that's what's going to make it age well, paradoxically, I think was really yeah. smart. I mean, similarly, by the time Persona 3 came out on the PS2, like they still didn't have it all figured out out in terms of how to yeah. you know make like a super realistic or or uh really like really honed in art style so there is kind of a haunted quality to playing that game in a lot of ways as well even just the the fact that when you're in tartarus like the viewable distance is so low that they just introduce all of this fog into tartarus which is like silent hill yeah yeah it's like this halfway point between needing to find 
a way to make this game work mechanically and also using that to your best ability in art direction. Um, totally. That's not as true in this game. They, they they introduce kind of like a shade, you know, so you can't really see all the way to like the end of a hallway in Tartarus, but it does remove a little bit of like the kind of weird liminal spaceness of early PS2 3D in that way. So I know, I know what you're talking about. At the same time, though, it doesn't pull its punches with the themes of the game. Like they no. are still shooting themselves in the head. I mean, the opening cutscene where Yukari is like not wanting to like she's struggling to pull the evoker yeah is really deeply disturbing and that's yeah. how the game opens and that's like again it's mostly one-to-one and i think i bring up the majora's mask remake not to like poo-poo this one but that to me is the closest parallel of like these are both remakes that are trying to introduce an older game to a new audience and they're kind of halfway between being like here's a totally restylized better looking version but we're also trying to retain the original hardware look of it like i think there is a little bit of an identity crisis of like there are some moments where it feels fully like this is a 2024 version of Persona 3. And then there are moments where it feels like they either like rushed this or wanted it to look like PS2, you know, like in terms of like some of the textures and look of the environments. Um, mm. Have you been in the club yet? I haven't been in the club. No. When you get when you go into the club, it's it's so bizarre. Uh, it's like you walk in and it's you see these lights flashing, but it's all like really flat lighting and nobody in the club is moving at all. They're all just like totally freeze framed, <laughs> except for the three people people that you can interact with in the club there's like the bartender the guy who sells you like weird urls that you can go visit and then the fortune teller are all just like lit normally and like hanging out but everyone else is just completely frozen in place it's yeah it's a really eerie vibe especially considering you can't go into the club unless you've leveled up your courage enough like you need to be brave enough to go into the club um and walking in and just like hearing the music but seeing nobody moving was like oh i get why you needed to be brave to come in here this is a really <laughs> unsettling place Maybe even more yeah. so than anticipated. And like none of this is a deal breaker for me, but I think it's like it, it's hard to like uh, settle on what your expectations for the visuals are going to be. Because like the new character models and character portraits look amazing. Like, everyone looks yeah. great. You know, like the, the production value is really high, but then there's some things that feel like it's more purposely retro. And sometimes mm -hmm. that sometimes that really works and sometimes that clashes a little bit. But overall, like I think to me, my like elevator pitch for this game is it is not perhaps the definitive version people hoped for for two decades, but it is another really good version of Persona 3. And that might be disappointing to some, but I think like for most people, this is clearly the best way to play. And I'm I'm having a really profound experience with it because I, I forgot how much attachment I have to this world. Like I, I had that really powerful uh, experience, you know, playing that game when I did. And then I was comfortable kind of leaving it at that and getting a chance to revisit these characters in this place is kind of enough for me. So I'm I'm really happy with it um, and I'm excited to keep going. I want to see like how they handle later things and also to see how some of the new additions work. But uh, yeah, overall, I think it's like probably the best way to experience Persona 3. I would say if you're like enjoying this game, I would still recommend at least watching footage of the original just to kind of see the differences. But it, they definitely capture the spirit of it. I think I... This might be blasphemous to you, but uh, for me, somebody who hasn't gotten into the other two, I, I think there's a real case to be made that this is the first Persona game people should play. I think yeah. I, I also think something I haven't brought up, but I, I think is the cleanest they've ever done it is just the tutorialization of all of its systems, sure. I think is so easy to understand and wrap your head around in this game versus some of the other ones. I, I think 
by virtue of them, again, introducing so many narrative beats and so many character beats in four and five, you end up having this was like actually a, a famously like dunked on thing in the original release of five that they pared down a little bit in Royal, but not enough, I think, to really assuage people. But there are so many tutorials in five. You will be yeah. 100 hours into playing that game and they will still be hitting you with like, <laughs> did you know that there's this mechanic also that you haven't interacted with at all? And I think by virtue of adding all these narrative beats, it just spreads those tutorials out so wide that it's yeah. hard to keep track of everything that's happening. Whereas again, with this game, it's the first like hour to maybe two hours where they have kind of wrapped up everything they need to teach you to get the basic understanding of why this gameplay loop is so engrossing and is something that you're going to want to be again just like doing one more day one more day one more day one more day i feel like i was thrown into uh i was thrown into the thrust of what i had always heard about persona and why these games were so for lack of a better word addicting i feel like with this game i was just thrust into what i've always heard about in terms of why people say that this is such like a quote-unquote addicting game yeah so much faster and like even last night my my plan was to make it to the boss from the first full moon like that's what i wanted to do because i just knew that that was coming and just wanted to see that and that happened at like probably midnight last night for me and then i spent the next hour and a half awake still playing the game anyway because it was like okay well what am i going to do now oh i unlocked this new person who i can go hang out with i guess i'll go see what their whole deal is and then became obsessed obviously and (laughs) i don't know i just i I'm finding this game to be kind of the platonic ideal of what I've always wanted out of Persona. Like I, I it's, That's music to my ears. I love it. It's just clicking with me, I think, in a way that the other two haven't for reasons that are really hard to boil down to just I think they got bigger in ways that I that I personally don't connect with. And it does make me wonder what's going to happen when a Persona 6 inevitably rolls around, because like now the Persona 5 is the biggest thing that's ever happened. I'm curious if they're going to be like, well, we have to go even bigger and we have to add even more stuff. Uh, is that going to be a detractor for me now liking this like almost like minimum viable product version of what Persona can be? Yeah, I mean, but it's also telling that they chose to remake this one. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, remakes pulling your old IP is not an uncommon tactic, but yep. like they didn't have to. And I think, again, this game might possibly represent a direction for six as well. You know, looking backward for inspiration. Yeah, I actually agree with you that this could be a great entry point for Persona. And when I say that I don't think it's a definitive version of three, it's mostly just due to that lack of additional content. Oh, yeah. I would wager that pound for pound, this is the best way to play three and might end up being my favorite. But I do think it if I'm being like my most nitpicky, like garbage self, uh, I think it lacks the singular vision of fez and portable where i think Mm. like there's just everything and maybe that is you know kind of a product of of the game being so tethered to a specific time and place but i just feel like the look of it and the sound of it and and the design even the stuff that is a pain in the ass it all works to tell the story that game is trying to tell and the experience they're trying to provide this version does have those caveats of like yeah this looks a little weird but like this is really cool and overall it's more fun so like maybe that's enough but that's what i mean when i'm like there's still not that like because i think with four and five you can just say gold royal done yeah. i just want that for three i don't want it to be like start with reload stop play portable for a bit go outside you know like i just wanted yeah. to say one game yeah but. and it's i mean we're, we're never gonna get that at this point <laughs> right like there's there's no world in which after this release we're gonna get another version of persona 3 that has all of that stuff that everybody wants because now the 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 <laughs> The wildest thing, which we haven't even touched on, is like they added more stuff to this game. So now there is 
there is stuff that is exclusive to Persona 3 Reload in terms of like narrative and plot beats and like character moments. There, there's this whole thing that they added um, that are called link scenes where you and your dorm mates will go out and have conversations and kind of have like social link support sequences that aren't actually like really tied to one of the arcana leveling up uh i know that's in the weeds we haven't even talked about like the tarot card thing of it all but it's not really tied to that it's just a way to learn more about these people along their journeys um that are tied specifically to plot beats in the overall plot where like you will that's just cool. you will wake up and get a text message from junpei that's like hey do you want to hang out today which like that's not a thing you can normally select you can't usually be like hey junpei i think we should hang out so they'll introduce this and that's all totally new dialogue new voice acting new writing new everything that they've added to this so we now have another world in which this is <laughs> yeah. a third version of Persona 3 That's what with I mean. its own stuff. Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. And that does feel kind of like a compromise for not having the femme protagonist yes. because like, so in the original Persona 3 and Fez, you had S-Links, which are, you know, they're called confidants in Persona 5, but essentially it's the game adding sort of a mechanic to friendship and relationship. So there are like, you know, your immediate party members have them and then uh, the classmates in your school and other people you meet uh, one of my favorites is the elderly couple that owns the bookstore they're amazing you just want your heart like wrung dry uh, yeah. that s-link is amazing but the thing about in the original is that only the girls in your party had s-links associated with them right the guys didn't and then with the female protagonist she had s-links with everybody which just gave you more context so i think in original three and fez with that like restriction you can really more clearly see the tokimeki memorial influence where it's like yeah there's a presumption that if you're leveling up one of their s-links you are like pursuing them romantically yeah um and they're also each girl in your party is tied to one of your social stats so i think that's still the case like yukari you can't even begin the s-link with until your charm is a certain level uh, mitsuru is intelligence and fuka is courage and like that's fine but i, I think it's like I think as the series has progressed, I think Atlas has seen that like S-Links and Confidants don't inherently have to be romantic to be interesting and engaging. Right. I mean, even three realizes that where like every S-Link outside of your party is just like a story that plays out. Yeah. Some of them are romantic too, but overall they're just like, you're getting more story outside of the main plot, which is really cool and really effective. And it's like the secret ingredient of Persona 3. And it's one of the um, reasons you'll want to like replay these games also, because yes. there's, no, there's no world in which you'll be able to max out every social yes. link that you have yes. so yes. it kind of it kind of behooves you to spend some time being like okay i now have the lay of the land in terms of who i can hang out with in this world but you know there's obviously like tartarus gameplay benefits to it where if you if you can level up their uh their what is it called s-link no oh, yeah their s-link you'll get more experience for personas of the same type as them exactly, if you yeah. fuse them so there's like a gameplay thing where it's like oh i'm using a lot of i don't know emperor cards so i guess i'll like hang out with the emperor person i gotta more. hang out with the weird republican and student council uh oh yeah that guy is that the emperor oh <laughs> yeah, of course he is emperor. <laughs> it's like a bay and switch where mitsuru after class is like hey can i talk to you after school and you're like what's happening like what oh yeah story be like what connection is occurring here and then she's like i want you to join student council yeah but anyway, I, I just I feel like introducing those kind of side stories that were present in Persona 3 Portable with like new writing and, and yes. tying them specifically to plot beats kind of brings up what you were talking about, about the overall vibe of this game, where you're watching these characters grow and evolve and they have arcs from beginning to end where like they're not inherently likable when you first meet them, but like 
They will be, or at least you'll have a better understanding of who they are by the time the game wraps up. This is just giving you, as you said, more context along the way, which I think is a really smart way of, of going about the lack of the femme protagonist, although obviously that would have been preferable. Yeah, and I also, I was saying yes dramatically when you're like, you know, you you won't have time to level everyone up. I, I think that's the point. You know, I think yeah. without spoiling, like Persona 3... Again, another thing they're pulling from Tokyo Mecha Memorial is that they want you to replay this. They want you to end the game and reflect on your literal life and the decisions you made and be like, what would I do differently? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's also kind of I almost like I know people who play Persona with guides to max out every confidant and that's cool. But I think that also defeats the purpose where like there is an ownership to your experience with Persona that is defined equally by what you didn't do alongside what you chose to do. This is, I think, one of the bigger things for me. And this is, I think, the biggest flaw, in my opinion, of four golden and five royal is because you need to do certain things and hang out with certain people and like check off certain boxes to get to that extra stuff that they've added to both of those games. It does in some ways, not even in some ways. I mean, it just literally does necessitate looking up a guide at some point and using that to try and figure out what those things are and making sure you don't miss them by a certain point, which at the end of the day does reduce, I think, a little bit of what overall the series is going for. And three is the first time I've been able to sit down and not look up what to do on what day at all, but actually make that decision for myself and be like I-, I wish my academics were also level three alongside my charm and courage maybe today's a day to go study or like go do x y or z thing that will level up my academics instead of you know when i bring up a side thing they added into this game the the network options which allows you to bring up um on any given day when you can do whatever you want um you can bring up this big menu that just shows you what most people have done like it'll show you the percentage of what people have done on different days so like oh yeah everybody seems to be going and hanging out with uh, the student council kid today, but uh, I need to get my academics up. So I'm going to go do that instead. And alternatively, they also added um, a thing that is present in four and five, maybe not four. I don't know. You can tell me, but it's definitely present in five. I know for sure uh, where anything that is available will like text you also. So when a day begins, you'll just get a bunch of messages. It's like, hey, the cafe is looking for somebody to work here. You know, three people are available to hang out and have texted you if you want to hang out, um, et cetera, et cetera. And what's fun about that, too, is when you bring up like the network options and compare it against the messages that you've gotten. There are spaces where you're like, everybody hung out with this person today and I have no idea who they are or how they managed to do that, (laughs) which also adds to this kind of like mysterious layer of there definitely are people playing with guides and they are min maxing when you unlock certain confidants and at what times Um, there, there's this one moment, there's this girl who hangs out out in the hallway. um, Chihiro, I think is her name. Yeah. um, Who like, won't talk to you. She's like super shy, super shy, super afraid of you um and if you go and try and talk to her she'll be like no thank you and just kind of like leave and i saw at some point in early may after i think the first full moon ish time or maybe right before then i pulled up the network thing and like everybody had been hanging out with chihiro and i was like she won't even talk to me what does that mean like how is that even possible and i i did i looked up briefly it was just like how do you unlock this and it turns out that you can unlock her by like early may because she's always been out there on certain days and if you keep talking to her over and over and over again eventually she'll be like sorry i've been really shy but i do want to hang out and then you can start to hang out with her and it was fun to like not know that it was fun to just yeah stumble upon in the network function being like oh wow you can hang out with Chihiro. I wonder how that's possible. Then looking it up instead of having a GameFAQ guide open on like an iPad at all times while playing and just scrolling through being like, all right, May 19th, 
What am I supposed to do here? Do this. Okay, May 20th. What am I supposed to do here? Do this, which is how I have kind of needed to play the other games if I wanted to see the stuff that everyone tells me is the best stuff. Right. Um, so there is something really freeing, I think, about this version of Persona that is the simplest, cleanest entryway into why people like these games in the first place, alongside feeling actually free from needing to check off certain boxes by certain days to see extra stuff. It means that I actually get to engage with the series and with the franchise in the way that I think was intended from the onset. Yeah, I think I think it gets you into the, the loop the fastest. And I also like how a lot of the S-Links, you'll meet another character who has their own S-Link, despite like you meet the track captain by going to the track team and, and doing the like track stars S-Link. Yeah, the French foreign exchange student who shows up in the bookstore. Yo, Bebe is incredible. I Obsessed. adore Bebe. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I'm actually curious, like, which characters are resonating with you so far, whether they're S-Links or, or party members, like, what's what's connecting with you the most? Yeah. Um, Miyamoto is the kid on, on the track team who you meet initially. He's awesome. Initially. Yeah. yeah. His story is really, really interesting. I mean, I don't want to spoil it too much, but, like, he he's essentially a kid on the track team who everyone is like, you're going to be captain next year, who has some stuff that is preventing him from probably being captain next year. And interestingly enough, you just kind of arrive on the scene and are immediately really great at track uh, yeah. which it like goes totally unexplained and kind of almost unremarked upon but like they're like oh cool like Miyamoto you have someone kind of your level to to train with and that back and forth between him feeling like he's letting a lot of people down and letting himself down and also like seeing you be great I think it's really interesting like when he starts ditching practice and stuff so yeah I, I liked his story a lot and he also feels like almost an indirect cautionary tale about mainlining Tartarus <laughs> where it's like yeah. you don't want to just do one thing all the time you know right and kind of like you said about Nozomi and Tokimeki Memorial where it's like they're right. similar characters where like they're putting all their eggs in one basket for athletics you know yeah and that can sometimes not pay off totally um yeah I think his story is great obviously the book the book store a uh, couple are they're the secret star of the game unreal i'm still i'm still like finding people like i'm still at the point where i haven't i haven't discovered everybody um yeah one of the ones that i'm really interested to just see the progression of is uh i think her name is maya and she's the person in the uh mmo that you play on sunday sometimes oh my god yeah that one's awesome and she speaks in like peak cringe leet speak yeah like, um, like 2005 like meme language yeah it's unbelievable and every every time you're given a dialogue option like the right choice usually is also matching that exact <laughs> version of speech uh, and you're playing an mmo that is about persona 2 which is hilarious yes. i just think everything in this game is working for me like there, there hasn't been a thing that i've bumped up against the way i have in other games so far and i i don't i don't feel this sense that i'm like slowing down or want to slow down I, I kind of like what i was saying last week about like a dragon infinite wealth like it, I just want to keep playing it. And like, even now, as we're talking about it, I'm like thinking about the things I want to do when I go back to playing it when we're done recording today, which I think is the best thing you can possibly say about yeah. a game like this. I remember when I played Fez for the first time, like this is like six months before you and I started doing the show. Mm -hmm. But in 2018, uh, you know, I had played Persona 5 when it came out. I loved it. I started a new game plus and I got to like the second palace and I was like, I have a working PS2. I regularly play Soul Calibur 2 with my roommate. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. I can just get three and four. So I bought original four and three Fez and I played through four like immediately after five, just like completely binged it. Yeah. Done. Loved it. Then I started three Fez and I was like, I actually need 
need a break. I'm like closing my <laughs> eyes and seeing the calendar. So I was like, I just, I took a break and then I ended up finishing it much later for that Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful that I finished it. But I, I remember like kind of being a little bit more cool on it until about halfway through when I think like it takes much longer to get the full party in Persona 3. Mm. And I guess who is the robot on the cover of the game mm-hmm. doesn't really get introduced until about halfway through. I think you're going to really like her character because I think, you know, as this game is exploring life and death, having a a robot thrown into the mix. I know you love stories about like what it means to be human. Sure I think do. It's going to really elevate your love for this game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, you and everybody in my life called it from the the half court line like I, it, this is this is definitely going to be the one for me but i do think in a lot of ways it is going to get me as comfortable as possible with what's going on mechanically in these to probably go back to four and like really have a real yeah. shot at finishing four and then eventually five as well uh which i'm excited about like i mean i i think one of the things for me is this game or this franchise in general just feels so complex and convoluted at times, like the idea of fusing personas and why I would want to do that. And it's always explained in a way that doesn't really tell you what the benefit of it is. It's just like, you're going to have to do this. And three, I think does an actually pretty good job of explaining to you, like how often you should come here and do that when it makes sense to be fusing your personas, why you'd want to do that. They also, um, the, the, person who hangs out with Igor in Elizabeth. She's yeah. the best velvet room attendant by far. I love her so much. She just had, I don't know if this was in the originals, but she just has this list of like challenges. Did she have that in the originals? Yeah. So like she also has her own S link where like she wants to leave the velvet room and see what life outside is like. And yeah. In contrast to the whole game and especially to the Velvet Room, she's like really upbeat and like happy all the time in almost yeah. like an eerie way. Uh, but yeah, she has those challenges where you can unlock cool stuff. Yeah. So th- those challenges, you know, they, they vary pretty widely. Some of them are just like, hey, go get this item and bring it back to me. You know, as simple as that. But some of them are like, I want you to fuse this kind of persona over this level or I want you to fuse this kind of persona with this move specifically. And by going down that chain and like figuring out how that works, that is in its own way a kind of more hands-on tutorialization instead of literally just hitting you with like six text boxes you need to read in order about how fusion and like skill inheritance works this is a a little bit more of like an active hey i want you to do this and then you go and you figure out how to do it and that feels a lot more rewarding and then teaches you why that's important and why you'd want to do that in the future so no joke brendan it took me beating three persona games to even faintly understand how fusion worked and actually like it feels great knowing more now because i spent so much time in Tartarus like and I, I I really prefer how three and four handle like the post battle rewards because in five they try to bring back the SMT like demon conversations to mm-hmm. like recruit personas and it never really makes sense and three and four and especially in three reload you just choose like okay do i want an experience buff do i want a money buff do i want to get a new persona yes they bring in shuffle time from persona 4 yeah which is like shuffle time which is uh for those of you at home if you are able to make it through a combat session where you're essentially exploiting the weaknesses of every enemy and like taking them all out without even letting them get in a hit hypothetically they do this thing called shuffle time where they just hit you as you were saying with a bunch of bonuses it's like you can get 
get a new persona. You can get a, a upgraded experience. Sometimes you can get a buff that will apply to your entire time in Tartarus until you leave again, which is amazing whenever that happens. It's me. Ma- I love shuffle time. Shuffle time is so yeah. fun. My only this is the stupidest gripe. But in Persona 4 Golden, when shuffle time shows up, it's like a deck of cards that like shuffles and then they show you the ones that you picked. And in this game, they just show you three cards. And I'm like, I want I want the animation. If you're going to call it <laughs> shuffle time, I want to see the deck. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but um, it was just cool to be like, I want to spend more time in Tartarus to get the exact persona I like need to be like, I love like, oh, I confused Chimera. I need to like stay here to make that happen. Yes. Um. So even though like I miss the the fatigue system, like I think the fact that the incentive is just you get more cool stuff isn't a bad trade off. But totally, I'm really happy you're loving this. And it's reminding me like I I struggle to choose a singular favorite because the answer is my favorite persona is the one I'm currently playing. Yeah. But this game is reminding me why three has stuck with me the most and why I think in many ways it is like my favorite story at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to keep going. I, I wonder if by the end I can just definitively say like three is my favorite done. This is the true definitive version, even though it's not. Thank you for listening. Yeah. I think that's probably where I'll land by the time I'm yeah. done with it. And this is the, f- this is the first time I've played a persona game where I'm like, I will probably finish this. Would love that. Which I would love great. I would love to do a bonus with you about one of these games. This is yeah. if you haven't already gathered based on the the Shrek length uh discussion here, this is like <laughs> one of my domains. This is like one of the series that I can talk about literally forever, whenever. Whenever, yeah. Yeah. Stop so sleeping I, on the street and be like <laughs> Tell me about the answer. I remember like th- I also was playing this when I had my roommate uh Bobby and he would just come home he was like a martial arts instructor so he would come home like exhausted in more ways than one and then just see me playing this bizarre game where teenagers are shooting themselves in the head to summon Thor and he was like I can't I'm not even gonna ask you how your day is going like I can't look at this right now it's too much information yeah it adds to one of unfortunately it's wild to link these two things together but it, it adds to one of the things that I also think makes this game like very breezy to play is that all of the animations I feel like are much 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 faster in this game than they yeah. have been in previous games whereas the other games are like kind of trying to one up the style of at all which is again like inherent to what persona is as a franchise so like the right to do that but there are times where having all of these animations play out fully every single time means that combat takes way longer than it needs to whereas in this game i'm just like breeze like whenever i see an enemy in tartarus i'm like there's no reason to not fight them because i know there's a world in which i'm going to be done with it so fast and like attacking an enemy's weak point handing that off to somebody else attacking another enemy's weak point and then doing an all-out attack if you're the right level that can all take and then be like do shuffle time and then be back in tartarus that can all take like maybe 30 seconds yeah exactly and that was the case in the original too which was cool i also am so happy they kept the three different types of physical attacks there's like slashing piercing and and like uh you know uh striking yeah i don't know why they reduced that later on to just like physical and gun but i like having those three it reminds me of D with like slashing and piercing and bludgeoning damage yeah but uh yeah i mean the the additions to combat there are a few like mostly the same but the idea of when you when you exploit a weakness you get to go again but now you can transfer that to another character it's like a minimized version of the baton pass in persona 5 that wasn't in the original right and the all-out attacks though all of that was 
The other addition that I haven't actually gotten to yet, but I've read about is that every character has like their own kind of secret limit break. Oh, where yeah. The, the more you do, like, I think the protagonist is whenever you switch a persona, it builds up his meter with Yukari. If you use like support abilities, it builds up her meter. And that's a cool addition. It's a nice way to like not completely make it personified, but to add another level of like special attack to the game. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think specifically making your party members act in character to build up their own meters is yes. just a really smart addition uh, that just kind of, again, adds to the larger thematic thing that they're going for. It's just really smart. It's really cool. I will definitely talk about this game again with you at any time, but I'm going to uh, have some restraint and stop myself. Here. Yeah, I feel I like you have anything p- more to add. No, I feel like at this like I, I could keep going. I have a bunch of notes that I even took and I didn't even touch on most of them. Let's let we should just stop talking about it for now. It's really good. <laughs> I like it a lot. It, here's the thing. It's on Game Pass, which is how you and I are playing it. I imagine, as we've said, it will. And a lot of people on the Internet have said it will probably launch on the new switch at some point towards the end of the year. So if you're like, I really want to be able to play this handheld and you don't have Game Pass or a Steam Deck, that is probably the way to do that. Um, is to just hang out and wait by then also might also be cheaper. Uh, so keep that in mind, but that back and forth between being able to play on the console on the TV and just like boot up the Odin and then launch game pass and, or launch X cloud and play it handheld like that is such a dream. It's unbelievable how good this game feels on a smaller screen, like in bed or even just sitting on the couch. It's, it's the dream of the Wii U come true. You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway, on that note, let's take take a break break and talk about something else. Okay. Bye-bye. Baby, baby. Steven, I'll tell you up front, and maybe this is good considering our last segment was like well over an hour. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about the next game I'm going to bring up, but I just want to bring it up because I started playing. The thing about Junpei, then, is that (laughs) he starts off... Yeah, go on. It's a a game that I started playing a little bit this week, uh, busted out the Steam Deck to check out Tiny Rogues, which... um, it's interesting because it's a game that released in early access in 2022, but I feel like has gotten very popular in the course of the past like two or three months. Our friend Alana Oaken, who we already brought up on this episode, but uh, has reached out to both of us, imploring us to play this. Um, I was talking to AJ yesterday. Apparently it came up on the besties in this past week as well. It seems like it's gotten enough updates and has kind of become feature rich enough that it is breaking outside of the realm of like, hey, this is an early access thing. Uh, so I was like, OK, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll see. I'll see what it's all about. It's uh, pretty cheap. I think it's like 10 bucks. Uh, works great on the Steam Deck because it is a deeply, deeply, deeply simple kind of twin stick roguelike experience. It has like I don't even I would maybe call it 8-bit, but like, you know, they're, they're kind of they're kind of expanding outside of the, the realm of 8-bit. But it's like a very simplistic art style. Uh, you pick a class in the beginning. You only have one class as an option. I think it's just called the hero. And you just make your way through rooms of enemies and need to take them out with whatever weapons and equipment you have equipped. And when you're done clearing out that room, very much akin to like a Binding of Isaac or something like that. Uh, They give you options of which room you would want to go into next based on what rewards. You have three major stats that can be upgraded and sometimes the item to upgrade that stat will like be the reward of that room. If you get one of those stat upgrades, it also gives you an XP point. Um, And if you level up that XP, you get to choose from a seemingly endless list of uh, potential like kind of game changing stuff. Um, things like every third time you attack, it will poison the enemy or you will always evade the first hit that comes at you. Uh, which, so like if you have that walking into a boss room, it's obviously super helpful. It is a game that I think when you start playing it, you'll be like, 
why is this the game that's blowing up? And then you'll play it for an hour and you'll be like, I, that was fun. I had a good time. And then you'll play it for two hours and be like, oh yeah, I really, I really get it. <laughs> like they, it, fe- it just feels like they kind of boiled down the exact mechanics that everybody likes across a bunch of different roguelikes and just got them all right in one space. That's like so minimalist and so kind of easy to wrap your head around uh, that you'll just latch onto something like there's going to be something for you in this game, which I really appreciate. I don't even think I've scratched the surface of what's possible here. Uh, I've only played like two hours so far, and those two hours have been a blast and I want to play a lot more of it. I'm kind of hoping that this gets released on other platforms beyond Steam. I would like to play this on the Switch or something, because as much as I love the Steam Deck, it's it's a bulky boy uh, and I, I'd like to like play this on the subway or something. But that having been said, the weapon choices are ridiculous and great. Uh, the upgrades you can get for them are like just bizarre all of the armor has like a billion and a half stats attributed to it you can upgrade all of this stuff to kind of build however you want but honestly in my opinion so far it's just like hey chaos always just build towards (laughs) chaos like say yes to everything do the weirdest thing possible um which is honestly a lot of the reason i liked binding of isaac when i first played that you know it was just like the chaos of what was possible i think made that game really exciting and if all of that isn't enough for you when you beat the game or get enough, I think they're called crowns, or at least they're depicted as crowns. Whenever you like get far enough in a run, if you unlock enough of those crowns, you get this huge like sphere grid of upgrades, like permanent upgrades that will track throughout all of your runs that are obviously also like bizarre. So that's Tiny Rogues. It's great. They've added like a, a bunch of updates to it, it seems like, since it first launched in early access. So it, it is a it is a game that currently feels like anything is possible, which I think is a nice place to be for a roguelike, especially two hours in where I'm like, I know how to play it, but I don't know what to do ever. Uh, I don't know what choice <laughs> to make or why this is a good choice. And that's that's honestly a blast. That reminds me of my early runs in Hades, where I feel like I was starting to understand some synergies, but still my best runs were just like saying yes to weird things. Yes. You know? it's like oh like i have dionysus and artemis and poseidon and like none of this works together but i'm doing really well for some reason right uh having that room for like chaos and plan strategy is always a nice mix yeah yeah and then eventually i imagine like with hades you get 10 to 15 to 20 hours in and you're like i know what kind of stuff i like doing i've seen the math yeah Yeah. exactly. because when you start the game you have one class and it's just this hero class who has like a little sword and shield thing going on but uh as soon as you, I think, make it far enough in that run, I don't really know because I, I made it pretty far in my first run. But the next like phase of unlocking is you just have, I think it's, I want to say seven classes immediately, which is just a lot of stuff to choose from. Um, and they're all great at different stuff and have like really strange opening abilities, which I think is fun. And will just make the game like super weird and great and and incentivize leaning into different directions, which is good. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound too reductive, but like it's a good roguelike and I'm enjoying playing it and i think that's maybe as good of a recommendation as i can give to anybody or any sure. roguelike in a world where a lot of people are making roguelikes all the time now i mean even just highlighting one there's so many yes it's a very competitive space so yeah this one definitely stands out like presentationally sonically is great i didn't even the, the presentation looks great on steam deck but it has like scan lines and kind of like vhs distortion going on as if it's an old game which i think is really fun you can turn that off if you want to but it it looks silly and fun. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's just really working for me. That's Tiny Rogues. It's on Steam. You should you should definitely check it out and you'll probably walk away with the same feeling I have, which is like, I'm going to play a lot of this. Yeah. And I will have a hard time explaining it to other people. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the perfect game for our show. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely will check it out. And if I feel compelled to, maybe I'll bring it up again so we can both talk about it. But I've been receiving the text from Alana and I trust her opinion. I trust yours, obviously. So I'm excited to play it. Yeah, give it a shot. Okay. Wow, that that you weren't kidding. That was I wasn't uh, kidding. some would say that was significantly shorter than our previous section. Uh some would say that, yeah. What's the percentage? 7 minutes versus 90. <laughs> you can figure that out, dear listener, in the break. I got a calculator right here. Let's see. It's a 7. Bye-bye. Number. We're back, baby. Hello. I threatened to bring Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth back last week and i'm making good on that threat last week i really i wanted to play up until the point where i unlocked their version of animal crossing which had been promoted a lot across all of the media that was like reviewing and doing preview coverage of the game saying like hey can you believe this game includes 10 games and one of them is animal crossing little did i know that it takes so long to get to that point (laughs) anywhere between like 15 to 20 hours for me and maybe longer for others depending on how much you're engaging with the other stuff i already brought up last week obviously like a dragon infinite wealth is an incredible video game that i'm enjoying a lot uh, i brought up last week the sujimon aspect which is their take on pokemon which continues to be great and they also have like a pokemon snap thing going on alongside the classic like you can go play arcade games and whatever there's a lot of stuff going on but this animal crossing layer that existed is obviously super compelling to me as somebody who loves and has loved animal crossing forever seeing another developer especially specifically rgg at sega take this on and try and weave it into like a dragon's universe is an exhilarating idea yeah (laughs) Um, i did not hit that point last week because it took again longer than anticipated but knowing what was going on with sujimon and the way that they were able to incorporate the idea of pokemon into this game by being like what if there was a fight club for weird guys um is like very funny uh so i was really i was eagerly anticipating getting to what is called in this game dondoko island i won't tell you the plot beats that lead you there outside of there's a sequence in the main plot where you and the party this is it's so funny whenever i see like tiktok videos or instagram reels or just like anyone posting anything about these games at all on the internet all the comments are like i thought i knew what the yakuza games were and then i see a screenshot and (laughs) i have less of an idea than i did before the plot beat that kind of leads into dondoko island is uh the party needs to make a youtube video go viral to make ichiban famous in hawaii for a reason i won't get into they have all the equipment they need but they don't know how to edit videos so they're like hey Ichiban go like fuck around for a while in Hawaii and we'll reach out to you when the time is right like when we're done editing it's going to take a couple days probably so like come back to us later so you go do some stuff that leads to you waking up on the beach of Dondoko Island and Dondoko Island is this space that used to be some kind of resort that's like I I think it's still in Hawaii but it's unclear they don't really say but you wake up in this space that used to be a resort and the guy who runs the place is there with these two mascots who are absolutely horrifying and is like I'm sorry this is not a resort that is open or running anymore it's turned into kind of a landfill and you look around it's just covered in trash and in the background where there's it looks like there should be a volcano because again, you're like in the Pacific. It looks like there should be a volcano. It's actually a mountain of trash. Uh, <laughs> oh there's just so much trash on this island that like everyone stopped visiting. There was no reason to come here anymore. And the reason there's so much trash is because it's become the dumping ground of a gang of pirates who are in the area who just have like huge one piece energy. 
Like mm. their their pirate leader shows up and he just looks like as close as you can get to building a one piece character in the uh, in the like character creator that they probably have like on the development team at RGG, you know, like taking yeah. a normal person's body and turning them into a one piece character pirate captain. Great. Because he's it's like a little uncanny because he looks you could tell he's just like one of the normal character models you would see walking down the street. But he's like covered in scars has like a bandana on and these like big sunglasses and just like really <laughs> bright purple parachute pants on. Uh, and he rolls up with his crew and is like, who are you? Why are you here? This is our this is our dumping ground. And Ichiban obviously wanting to help this guy who used to have a resort is like, I'm going to fight all these pirates. Um, <laughs> and what that leads to is you trying to return Dondoko Island to its once glorious reputation as a resort. Uh, and maybe even like surpassing that. And that means that you need to run around to all of the open space that is in Dondoko Island. And it's very similar to what your first like week or two of Animal Crossing New Horizons is going to be specifically. It's just covered in trash and you just take your bat and you just whack all of the trash. And that obviously gives you a bunch of materials and items that you can use. You can go and like bust up rocks and trees and stuff. And that will also give you items that you can take to a crafting bench and then build instead of furniture. I mean, it is furniture, but you can like build things that will make the island Dondoko Island a more appealing place to like come stay as if it were a resort which is great by itself I mean it's just like they're taking the thing from Animal Crossing New Horizons just putting it in this game that's very funny uh you need to raise your island level the same way you do in Animal Crossing uh and again those first two weeks when you're trying to get KK Slider to come visit where it starts to really work for me is that it's still like a dragon in a lot of ways so as you're going out and like clearing this area of trash so you can start to put this stuff down and like make it your own, quote unquote, there's obviously a lot of customization going on here. The pirates do show up and will just start putting trash back down where you've already <laughs> where you've already busted it up. And that means that like of the tools you have on you, your bat, your fishing rod and your net for catching bugs, you will pull out the bat and you will like go into combat with these guys. But instead of it being turn based combat, it's just very simple. Like you have a bat, you have the swing button. It's really akin to when you are in Animal Crossing and there's a villager you don't like and you want them to move out of your island and you hit them with the bug net over and over again. <laughs> Or like dig up pitfalls and stuff. Yes. Yeah. It is literally that, but for a real purpose that is built into the gameplay mechanics where you need to get these pirates off of the island so they stop dumping trash where you already had it, which is great by itself. I think that's wonderful. But they also do have all the classic stuff. Like there are areas where you go fishing. The fishing mini game is great because it, instead of it being a fishing rod, it's actually a harpoon and what Ichiban does is he just stands at like the edge of a dock and you see the shadows where fish would be and you just have to like aim and then throw the harpoon at the fish <laughs> and sometimes fish take like multiple harpoon hits so they're just swimming around violently with a harpoon stuck out of the side of them which is just funny to watch in general the bug stuff is great there's like bugs all over the place they have like the beetles that make the same sounds they do in Animal Crossing it's a little bit shameless in some ways but also feels like they really did make it their own they give you a house early on that you're able to customize and based on this is actually i think a really smart thing there is kind of a stamina and health meter going on here where you know if you're in combat with the pirates and they like fuck you up then you pass out and you wake up i think like the next day or a week later or something like that but depending on how nice your house is is how much you will heal on a daily basis mm. and also if you overexert yourself so like if you spend a lot of time out 
working on Dondoko Island and then it becomes nighttime and you keep working through the night, that will start to deplete Ichiban's health, which means that you'll want to go back. So there is a give and take actually in like why you would go to sleep at all on a daily basis and how they incorporate the day to day cycle in this. What's funny is like atop all of this is a pretty hardcore RPG plot that is going to take place over the course of like months hypothetically <laughs> but you are instead on Dodoko Island just trying to like level this stuff up there are like long-term benefits once you finish leveling it up I think to the first star you start to get like passive income in the main oh, game cool. as well yeah. so that's your kind of equivalent of the business simulator in the last right. game so the higher your star level the more money you will get just kind of recurring dumping into your bank account uh, as you continue to play the main game but I've dumped I think somewhere in the realm of like four to five hours into Dondoko Island just by itself so far and it is like as feature rich and and full as I think everyone said it was going to be um, and as much as I was hoping for and anticipated and that is I think miraculous and that's kind of that, like I, I don't even want to talk as much about Dondoko Island which I think is like great and everyone who I've talked to who is also playing it is like this is great and could be its own video game I think what I'm more interested in and something that you posted in our discord uh, which I think is a, is a good point to bring up is like I just think it's such a huge flex for RGG to have built all of these mechanics into these games and there is a sense that they kind of want it to be like the only game you buy and play this year. But as you said in our Discord, it's like the most benevolent version of that possible in a lot of ways, because this is not a live service game. There's no like subscription fee. This is just a game that you purchase that just has six other games built into it that you <laughs> right. could just play each of separately. Like the Sujimon thing by itself, I think is probably like a 10 to 15 hour video game if you just mainline that by itself. Dondoko Island, from what I understand, you can knock out in anywhere between like five to 10 hours, but also is again, a thing you could play endlessly if you want to, as if it were Animal Crossing, because there is that customization element. Like I, I'm seeing people on the internet sharing their islands the same way people used to with New Horizons. And are there animal, like, because I know there are people in mascot outfits. Are those, like, the animal villagers? No, it's just regular people oh really yeah so there's That's the two hilarious. there's the two mascots who are like supposed to be the people i i think i think they're a little bit of a red herring to make you think that everyone who shows up is going to be uh, in like a mascot outfit yeah but it ends up just being like regular people and and at the end of the day the thing that you're really doing is like building a resort that people want to come stay in but also around that resort building a place that people would want to like maybe live in forever so you're attracting clients essentially from around hawaii cool yeah it's actually like the the new horizons dlc the happy home paradise yeah uh, yeah thing maybe more than the actual core game yeah it's a little bit of a blend of the two yeah but you know i mean it's it has like all the hits like there is a kind of like nook shop where there is furniture that is rotating on a daily basis that you can check out uh that is like on sale sometimes it's like exclusive to just being in the nook shop and you can't like craft it yourself I have seen people sharing really extravagant versions of Dondoko Island that just look exactly like Kamarocho. Like they've rebuilt <laughs> the Yakuza 1 Kamarocho like in Dondoko Island. It's, it's remarkable how much customization is possible here. But again, it all has that like Yakuza like a dragon twinge to it where like the first real building you can build uh, is just like a totally concrete public bathroom before you even build like a place where people can come live or hang out or like anything by way of like an activity they might do you just build a big concrete public bathroom it's the least glamorous version of the game they're trying to, to yes mirror. exactly yeah. yeah and i i think 
that by itself gets into what I think is so special about these games as a whole in this franchise as a whole is like even even when they're like kind of shamelessly and also poking fun at a thing that they are yeah. like straight up lifting they are at least having so much fun with it that they are self-aware that it's a very silly thing for them to have done but they also have the wherewithal to know that you can't just make it a bit and then right. move on with it it needs to be as good and as feature rich as possible and needs to be something that people will want to invest time into it also makes perfect sense with ichiban's worldview that like all these different endeavors are kind of their own game you know like he yeah. sees the world like it's dragon quest he would see helping out a failed resort as if it were animal crossing you know yeah it raises some concerns about the sujiman of it all definitely. <laughs> yeah, that that feels more like just the inside joke at rgg yeah than like even Ichiban's worldview but I think you're right that it's so transparent and again it's like both a satire and an homage at the same time yeah the Sujiman one is definitely like way more in your face about what it's lifting from like yeah the fact that the first person you meet uh who kind of introduces you to the quest is like a very horrifying version of Professor Oak <laughs> um, who introduces himself as a Sujiman professor the first quest is called like choose your starter it's like it's is really team rocket that would be perfect for like a dragon, I feel. I don't know if there is. Not that I've seen yet, but that would be interesting. That feels like a good opportunity for the next one. Yeah, exactly. But I, I just think the idea that like every time it, it kind of ties into our persona conversation a little bit, but every time they try and make one of these games like a mainline game, they are trying to make it bigger and better than last time. And I think the two ways I've seen them do that in the ones that I've played so far are you add a new location, right? So like in this game, you have Yokohama and you have now Honolulu. And I imagine you go back to Kamurocho at some point. I'm not sure, but I, I assume at some point, like if Kiryu's in the game, he's going to want to go back to Kamurocho. You add a new location or alternatively, you just build a whole ass other video game inside the video game <laughs> if you want to. And I think right. that that's kind of like a best of both worlds for me where it's fun to explore a new location. I do think the charm of the franchise in some ways for me is the increased focus on one space, like making Kamurocho yeah. as dense and as interesting as possible, I think is a cool move and, and is a little bit of a swerve from what the rest of the industry is doing when they're trying to make a sequel. But this added element of like, you know, the next time you play like a dragon game, like there might just be a, a Zelda in there is exhilarating. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of the other things that I, that I stumbled upon also in the course of playing a little bit more of it to get to Dondoko Island is uh, they just have like an endless like really roguelike instead of roguelite dungeon crawling thing where there just seems to be it's it's like this it, this one area of Hawaii that's like in development but has been I think taken over by like gangs in the area um, and you can as you walk by every once in a while hear people like yelling from inside and you can go in and save them but every time you go in it is just a, a straight up Tartarus like changes every time you go in increasingly difficult the further down you get dungeon crawling experience I don't even know if there is an end to it there might be but I don't I don't know for sure they say it's endless at least when you first go in there that's awesome which I love like if you really enjoy engaging with the combat in this game there is your avenue for that if you're like I would want to experiment with it in a weird new way then you have Sujimon and if you're like I want to take a load off and not even worry about any of this stuff there's Dundoko Island I just am really impressed by Infinite Wealth I mean the the yeah. only reason I haven't played a lot more of it is because Persona 3 came out uh, yeah I got totally sidetracked I wanted to like come to this episode with more of a Sujimon understanding yeah <laughs> a funny sentence to say out loud but we we kept talking about like what's our January game 
game going to be because we thought we would have more downtime. And I think like Prince of Persia, Infinite Wealth and Persona 3 Reload all coming out like week after week has just been one really exciting, but it's also pulled focus from the previous game. So I'm hoping like in this lull between now and FF7 uh, Rebirth coming out, I can put more time into these three games. Yeah, I I think I just think we're going to be playing all the games that come out in February and March for the rest of the year. For the rest of the year. (laughs) You're totally right. Which I'm honestly fine with because I mean, even looking at the reviews of those two games in particular, Infinite Wealth and Persona 3 Reload, it's like they're getting really, really, really high like game of the year level scores across the board. And in a world in which Final Fantasy 7 also does and maybe even Dragon's Dogma 2, like, cool, we have these four incredible, huge video games that we can just like dig really deep into over the course of the year is really exciting to me. But the sitting down and deciding what do I play between Infinite Wealth and Persona 3 Reload is already an impossible task in my brain. And the yeah. idea of introducing a Final Fantasy 7 into that and also a new Dragon's Dogma is like way too much. At least Final Fantasy 7 is like a fair. I mean, who knows now that we're in the open world and might be denser but like i'm prepared for that to be another like 30 hour largely linear experience so like i feel like at least the mindset there is i just kind of know like progressing along this line whereas infinite wealth is like omnidirectional in terms of what my progress is yeah you know it's just never anything and persona 3 reload is also like a hundred hour game you know so they both kind of have that like life sin immersion to them yeah i'm nervous to see if Final Fantasy VII does end up adding anything that will stray me off of the path of the main quest the same way Infinite Wealth and Persona 3 Reload both have. I think we know that Gold Saucer will be in Rebirth. Yeah. And that is where I think they could really be unhinged in terms of what the side quests are, which I can't wait to see. Because the weird thing about one of the many weird things about Remake, uh, I love that game, but there's a lot of weirdness. The side quests in that game without spoiling are like okay because the plot demands it you have one opportunity to do every side quest in this area or never again right (laughs) so i'm looking forward to seeing how they approach that when there's maybe a bit more openness to progression yeah yeah man i'm excited for that game but for now we have two other great big rpgs to get through i can't wait for infinite wealth 2 that just has ff7 in it i mean at this point (laughs) It's already Dragon Quest. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ichiban has some type of materia joke at some point. You know, like I could see that at least. Like yeah. them introducing materia in a way that's like he's just holding, I don't know, something that is like not magical but gives him powers. Right. He might have been a Dragon Quest kid growing up, but that doesn't mean he didn't also play Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, on that note, do you want to wrap up? I think so. I think uh yeah, two two pretty breezy segments after one not at all breezy segment one long tartarus and two quick classes there there you go there's a teacher in persona 3 that is like all about like tarot and mythology and i love him and i'm terrified that that's me in like 15 years (laughs) this is the vibe i give off um i love i love the classroom sequences in that game so much Yeah, the teachers are are really on another level in three like they're all from the same cirque du soleil group that somehow ended up in teaching positions and i love that your two options are one the thing that you do in all of these games where you have to just like get the answer right when they ask you to make sure you're paying attention or they give you a decision between staying awake and falling asleep. <laughs> and there are yeah. no punishments for falling asleep in this game. 
you just get more courage. Like you need to work up the courage to stay asleep <laughs> in class. And if you stay awake, you get more academics. Uh, so it's like, what stat do you want to level up? Which is nice. But I like the way that it's framed, that it's like, you need to be brave if you want to fall asleep through this class. I, I love in five when the teacher throws chalk at you and you like passively develop. I think it's charm where you just dodge out of the way. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, let's let's wrap up. I, I am really excited to play more Infinite Wealth, though, because I want to I want to catch up to where you're at. I just haven't had time. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Into the Cast Online has all our various links. Uh, you can join the Discord from there. You can also uh, go to our Patreon. We actually just wrapped up recording uh, our big D&D uh, campaign, which will be available to patrons on the $5 tier or above. I'm really excited to share that, but it does require a ton of editing. We're you know, getting music from Brendan and our composer, Will. So we want to give that the time it needs. Right now we're aiming for like a late March release. And that will come out probably a little bit after our Baldur's Gate 3 bonus, which will be the next one. Uh, the Twilight Princess bonus should have already come out by the time this episode comes out. So oh yeah, hope you enjoyed that. We had a really good time with that D&D one. Also like a huge experiment for us. So like really open to feedback to see how people enjoy it. But we had a really great time and I think it'll be really fun to listen to, especially with your music and everything. And also Scout did some artwork for it. So very excited to share that. And uh, yeah, so next bonus will be Baldur's Gate 3 we're going to be joined by our friend Kim, host of Frog of the Week for that episode. Kim and I, I think, have become encyclopedias on Baldur's Gate 3. I'm excited to share our unhinged energy. Hopefully I don't scare you away with that. And uh, I think that's it. Anything else you want to add to our sign off here? No, no. I think you I think you wrapped it all up. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. As we say every week, uh, it's it's a pleasure. Absolutely. And are there any is there anything coming out next week? I'm like scared. Or do we have like a bit of a break or is there another big game coming out? I have no idea. I mean, I honestly forgot that Persona was coming out in this past week. Actually, I remembered it being in February and my friend texted me that she was starting and i said i thought that was coming out in february and then she said it is february and i'm like i don't nothing matters anymore yeah oh man twilight princess bonus coming out soon everything is cyclical <laughs> nothing is progressing uh, um the only thing i'm i'm interested in, I, I i imagine you're not probably very interested in it but i will maybe check out his hell divers too uh oh I was, yeah I was a big fan of that first one and the second one looks like they're really leaning into the camp of it all yeah, the sort of like uh, Starship, Troopers. Starship Troopers. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that looks really great. And they just showed that off more in the most recent state of play, which we didn't even talk about at all, but was pretty good. Yeah, new Death Stranding trailer. What'd you, what'd you make of that? What's your explanation and breakdown of the new Death Stranding trailer? We're going to go frame by frame, baby. <laughs> uh, I, lo I, actually, I loved it. I, I finally got to watch it. I didn't get to watch the state of play until a couple days later, but um, I sat down to watch it and that Death Stranding 2 trailer like blew me away. I loved it so much i i am i'll say this i know we've already wrapped up but whatever i have been pretty ambivalent about a sequel to death stranding despite loving the first one as much as i do i feel like it's a game that has kind of wrapped itself up in a really neat little bow and i don't really know how much more of it i would want or need and the idea of a sequel feels to me a little bit honestly like uh final fantasy 7 rebirth in a way where it's like right, yeah. remake did such a good job kind of wrapping up everything I would want out of a remake, despite not even having two thirds of the game in it that I I'm scared maybe a little bit about rebirth coming out and like not really hitting those same highs. And I feel the same way about this training too, or I did at least, and I still do, but that trailer really brought me on board for like, you know what? 
even if it doesn't live up to my expectations or even my feelings about the first one, at least it's going to be like a really weird, wacky, fun time. And uh, I'm on board for that at the end of the day. Like just all the stuff. And I mean, there's a guy who fights with a guitar. With a dummy. Yeah. For some reason, Norman Reedus has a dummy that he tries to put <laughs> on the back and of in his case, belt. Just in case you didn't get it. The trailer ends with, I don't mean to string you along. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, I, I also really liked the first Death Stranding. I, I don't think I'm quite on your level, but I thought it was a great game and it was on my list of that year. And the thing for me is like, I liked the open world stuff more than the A plot. Mm-hmm. And I think what excites me about the sequel from the trailer that we've seen at least is like the new environments, like seeing the desert and like all these new locations because the first game while it does change like there are some areas that are more mountainous or whatever like it's largely kind of iceland adjacent in terms of like the terrain you're navigating so i think having more terrain feels like a very cool and exciting thing to add to a sequel i'm trepidatious about like there being more a plot because i think like i liked that game thematically but i i i found that to be more hit or miss that being said i entered the first game with like confused ambivalence and ended up really liking it so if i'm entering the sequel with the same feeling I know that it could also flip in the same way. Yeah, there's a world in which it's like it blows us all away and ends up being exactly what we all want and or need. Um, Yeah, I think one of my my primary concerns about it is that the first game came out pre pandemic. And I think in retrospect, if you played it after the pandemic had 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 kicked off, you're like, wow, this is such a prescient game this is about all the stuff that we're going through as a society, like with the way quarantine worked and, and all of this like kind of remote connection that we have these days, the game is largely about, this is not a spoiler at all, uh, but it's like largely about reconnecting with people. Um, And I'm a little bit concerned about the two worlds in which Kojima decides to lean into that connection. Now that it's been made real by actual events that happen in the world, or alternatively tries to predict something else uh, because <laughs> right. because he now thinks he's a soothsayer. Like those are my two concerns. But I mean, regardless, it it's going to be silly and weird. And like you said, there will be at least 100 hours of walking through a desert. And that's kind of what I want more than <laughs> anything else anyway. Yeah. And ultimately, I like things that take swings like this. You know, I think yeah. we we liked Alan Wake 2 a lot for that reason, where it's like, here's like a triple A mainstream game. Right. That is as weird as it is. And, and I think that's what Kojima has kind of built his reputation on yeah i think it's kind of where i poke against it a bit is like i feel like he's one of the few that are like given that opportunity and that's not really his fault but it's more just like we don't give everyone that creative control like it's Mm -hmm. kind of a privilege to be able to have a trailer that weird i mean to be honest if that trailer was from anyone other than him i think it would have been ridiculed like immediately you know it would have been like this is the guitar dummy game that everyone's making fun of until it comes out right but you know i think like he he's very passionate and he makes games that are very unconventional and i like that ultimately that's like where i always land is like even if it doesn't work for me i appreciate that it exists and that he's able to do this so yeah and at the end of the day if you're uninterested in death stranding or death stranding 2 they ended that state of play on the weirdest possible note that said well after death stranding 2 we're gonna make a new what is it espionage action game from the ground up so it seems like he's just gonna do metal gear solid again Uh, which was it it was just it was announced in a weird way that was like and if death stranding isn't your vibe we have a new metal gear that we're making but that won't even start until after death stranding 2 comes out so uh 
I hope you enjoy that in 2030, maybe. That's the most state of play move of all time. Yes. Vaguely announcing something eight years in advance. Yeah, they is... gave the name and it's Fizzent, which I just don't like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have a Fizzent day. And he also said it's going to be a movie and a video game simultaneously, which sure. That's a... What he said about OD at the Game Awards, he was like, don't get me wrong. It is a video game, but it's also a movie and a new form of art. <laughs> I think that was the full sentence. So Kojima Studios, they have a lot going on. One yes. of those things is Death Stranding 2. I'm excited to see more of it, although we still, I think, don't know when it's coming out. So yeah. one of these days, we will talk about it on the show. And on that note, we'll see you all next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Believe in yourself. Chase your dreams, even if they're weird. And listen to your friends allow your day to be made brighter as you climb a never-ending tower in your sleep or clip a dummy to your belt (laughs) hey who's the dummy now all right bye-bye